You're listening to the Writers Off The Page podcast. Here's your host, writer, reader, journalist, and lover of soy latte, Sinead Maripodi. Hello everyone, and thanks for joining me on Writers Off The Page, where I sit down with some of WA's best authors to find out their tips, tricks, and secrets to not only writing a great book, but most importantly, getting it published. Joining me today is the queen of feel-good fiction. Rachel Johns is a best-selling, multi-award winning author with 20 romance and women's fiction novels under her belt, including The Patterson Girls, Something to Talk About, The Art of Keeping Secrets, and most recently, How to Mend a Broken Heart. On top of all that, she's also a mum to three teens, so she knows a thing or two about juggling writing with life. Rachel Johns, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting. So tell me, take me back to the beginning. What started writing for you and how did you first get published? Oh, it's a long story, so I'll try and be short. Um, Basically, I wasn't a huge reader in uh, primary school or high school. I loved the Babysitter's Club books and stuff, but then I was obsessed with boys, or rather one particular boy in high school. So I didn't read any of the books because, you know, that took too much time. I used... Um, I did really well in high school English by getting through using those York notes books that kind of tell you all of the themes, the characters, the plots and everything. So I thought, you know, why do you have to read? You can just use them. I'm sure they're on the internet now for any students. No, I shouldn't say that. (laughs) Um, But and so for some strange reason, though, at the end of year 12, I accidentally dumped my high school sweetheart. That's a long story. The accident. (laughs) And I was totally heartbroken. And I don't know. I really don't know why. So I think... um, I know a number of writers now, obviously. A lot of them have either wanted to write since they were really, really little or they've come to writing as a form of therapy. And so I realised I came to writing as a a form of therapy and I can laugh about it now, my broken heart at, you know, 17 and thought my life was over and all that. But, it, you know, if anyone's been a a dramatic high school girl, you know how... That's when the world ends. Yeah, exactly. You think that... I thought my world was ended. and, And so for some reason I just started writing this book and it was me and this boy and... It was the most boring story anyone could ever have imagined, but it lasted for 80,000 words. I knew then you can't end a book by accidentally dumping someone, although I'm starting to think maybe that's... Maybe, maybe you I could, should. but yes. <laughs> um, I'm then, you know, running out of ideas. Um, and so I gave him a horrific disease and I killed him off. And you see, that's where the therapy came in, I think, because I could actually grieve him properly, you know, and I knew that nobody else was ever going to have him. So I finished this about, I guess... Two weeks before I was due to start primary school teaching at uni, which is the thing that I had always wanted to do, um, and decided, you know what, I really loved that. I loved the process of sort of sitting down at the computer and just being able to create this world and characters, even though they're based on real people, I could manipulate them, do what I want. (laughs) And I decided then and there that I was going to become an author. It was a stupid decision to make because, as I said, I wasn't a huge reader. And to be a writer, you definitely have to be a reader. Luckily, I did sort of find books again around the same time. Um, Bridget Jones' Diary came out around that time. Um, And I don't know if that was one of the first ones, but I was reading sort of that kind of fiction, really enjoying it. Um, I did a degree at uni, so I swapped to a writing degree, which for me, I think that was the worst thing I could have done because um, it was a literary fiction more kind of writing degree and what I really wanted to write was you know light-hearted fun but emotional sort of stories I didn't realize that kind of then um, so I did that degree didn't really learn anything unfortunately um, and then didn't get anywhere and then I had a bet with a friend who, from uni a couple of years after uni. We were still really we we're kind of down now about the fact that we hadn't you know published anything although looking back 
I'd barely written anything and I'd only submitted one thing and got it's a form rejection. Publish things exactly. that written, yeah. But hey, I was in my, you know, late teens, early twenties, so I'm using that as an excuse. And um then somehow we decided that we would write a Mills and Boone book because we thought we'd be aiming sort of literary fiction. Um, we as in New Collins. My friend no, my friend and I who we went to uni together kind of thing. And we didn't. We just thought it was must be easy to write a Mills and Boone because you know everyone knows they're just a formula kind of thing. We'd never read one, um, <laughs> so that was a big. You know, so I had a lot of things. That like the confidence. So long. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The confidence of the youth. I definitely don't have that confidence now. Um, so I read fifty Mills and Boons in a week, not a week, a month. Sorry, I was pregnant with my second child by this time. And you know what? They surprised me. I thought, actually, I really like this sort of tight emotional romance. Um, some of them I enjoyed a lot, others I didn't. But, you know, that's the same with any book you read. Um, one of the other reasons I think it took me so long is in 98, when I decided to write a book, um, Google was only like a baby thing. You couldn't just research everything you want, you know. Um, then fast forward to 2006, when I decided to write a romance novel, I could Google how to write a romance novel and suddenly there was all this information. Um, and I joined the Romance Writers of Australia. And through them, I started ent- entering competitions. I met publishers and pitched to publishers. Um, and, yeah, that's how I eventually uh, met my now publisher. Um, after many, many other rejections from many different publishers, I finally, I guess also what the key to me was finally writing something bec- that I loved um, and that, I was passionate about, whereas many of the, in the early years, I was trying to write what I thought I should be writing, a literary fiction, which totally wasn't me. Then I was trying to write a Mills and Boone, which didn't quite fit me either for a number of reasons. And then it was like, I'm going to, I'm going to give up. (laughs) It had been 13 years, I think, or so. And I thought, I'm just going to give up because, you know, I've got three young kids by this time. I never see my husband. If I keep doing this, you know, I might waste another 13 years and still not get published. But I had lots of writing friends through Romance Writers of Australia who said to me, don't give up, just just stop trying to write for Mills and Boone. Why don't you write a rural romance? Because I was living in Cojanup then. And so they said, you live in a small rural community, write a rural romance. Because authors like Rachel Treasure and Fiona Palmer and Fleur MacDonald had just had recent success and publishers were wanting more rural romance. And I felt a fraud because I was a teacher and my husband was a supermarket manager down there. So I didn't know anything about farming, although my husband does have a farming background. Um, but I thought, okay, this is my last ditch attempt. I'm going to write a rural romance focusing on the things I love, um, which was I'd fallen in love with living in small towns and I loved reading romance by then. Um, and that's what I did. And that's the book that finally, <laughs> after 15 years, got me over the line. Sorry, it's a longer story than that. And I try to tell it, you know, not in three hours. <laughs> that's the basic part. <laughs> so you were living in Cojan up at the yep. time, which is very, very small. Yeah. Everyone knows everybody. Mm-hmm. Was there any awkwardness with writing romance and knowing that people in the community okay that's a good question um well I wasn't just living in Cojanup I was working at the local library but I was also working um at the Catholic primary school doing relief work (laughs) and that's when I was right trying to write for quite a saucy Mills and Boone line um and I did something which I wouldn't necessarily recommend every aspiring writer do. I'm kind of on the on the fence about this. I told everyone that I wanted to be a writer. So everyone in our play group with my little kids and stuff and that that's what I was doing when the kids were sleeping, you know, when everyone else was either relaxing or cooking dinner. When the kids or, are sleeping, writing yeah, saucy Writing romance. saucy books. And 
So I'm sure after like all this time, everyone thought I must be absolutely terrible, you know, kind of. Um, but that, so that's another side of it. Was I decided though that to write under a pseudonym because of the books that I was kind of writing, I, I didn't think that was necessarily going to be go go hand in hand with being a teacher at a Catholic school. I didn't know that you know within a few years I'd be able to quit and I wouldn't be working um, in that job. I also had three, as I said, young boys at the time who are now the teenagers that I imagined them being. And I thought, I'm not sure how teenage boys will feel about their mum writing sort of saucy romance books. So I decided to, um, you know, write under a pseudonym. But most people were very uh, – I didn't actually get published in Cojanut because we moved to Gimaling, um, which is an even smaller town in the Wheat Belt. Um we moved then uh, there to buy a supermarket of our own uh, because I'd been trying to write for 15 years. Didn't think it was going to happen. You know, I was kind of losing hope by this stage. Um, and so I bought a business with my husband. And then within three months of us having our own business, that's when I got my first contract. So it was actually in Gimaling when um, people sort of really knew that it was happening. Yeah. How do those teenage sons feel about it now? <laughs> They're pretty encouraging and supportive. They don't read my books, obviously, um, not because necessarily of the content in some of them, but it's not their cup not of their scene. tea, yep. <laughs> you know. But um, both my oldest and my youngest have sort of had they're, – they're creative in their own way. My oldest used to want to work in a film. My youngest does a lot of, like, animation and things like that and through stories. And so they, they, they will talk to me about what I'm doing and they kind of know what I'm working on at the time and, yeah. They're very, they're very encouraging. <laughs> so you're firing out books quite quickly. What is it? One or two a year that you usually... Um, between one and two. I did two books a year for quite a few years, plus a novella. Um, and then I kind of, uh, life sort of just got busy and I dropped down to one book a year for a couple of years. Uh, the last couple of, last year, last year, sorry. And this year it's been two again though. I think a happy medium for me would be two, no, three every two years. <laughs> okay. So how long are the books usually word-wise? Um, they're well over 100,000 words. I can't seem to write a short book anymore. Um, they're probably on average around 125 to 130,000 words. My contract says 130,000 words. Yeah. How long does it take you to knock out a manuscript? Um, it used to be... I think I used to take less time. I think there was less distractions. You know, when I first started writing, there wasn't all this social media and different stuff. <laughs> and also I didn't doubt as much, I think, when I first started writing or have that internal editor that you, you kind of get once you've worked with a number of different editors, once you've had reviews from people, you've got all and read it, lovely feedback from readers, but you've got so many voices in your head. So I'm, I'm questioning myself more now. So where book used to take probably two to three months, and that's when I had little kids at home. I don't even know how, how I did it. How the heck? <laughs> I, it's, a, it's a bit of a puzzle to me as well. Now that I have all the time in the world, everyone's at school, I do this full time. Um, I think it, it takes at least four months and that's just a first draft. So obviously okay. then, you know, I if I have time, we'll go through it my, on my own. But more often than not, I, I'm pushed my, <laughs> right up to my deadline these days. And so I submit my book to my publisher and then they come back and we do revisions, structural edits and stuff like that. So the process probably is a good six to seven months of full-on work, um, including the draft stages and editing. Yeah. Do you go in with a plan? Are you a plotter hmm. or a pantser? I'm definitely more of a pantser. Um, I think everyone's on the spectrum somewhere. <laughs> I don't think, you know, there's very few people I know who don't do any sort of, uh, you know, they, they don't do any sort of spare of the moment stuff as they're writing, even if they're following a plan. 
And there's very few, few people I know who completely sit down with no idea really what they're going to do and then just go for it. Um, and for me, I'm definitely more towards the pantser. I can't outline. I've tried. I, I think it would be easier. It, sound, it seems like it would be easier. But um, I always kind of get probably about a third of the way through plotting a book and then I don't know what's going to happen. Or even if I do know what's going to happen, I don't know how I'm going to get a certain part and I get bored. So I've learned after a number of books that I have to have sort of a loose premise. It's better if I have kind of an idea of where the ending will be or the midpoint of the book, um, but I don't always. I really have to have sort of strong characters in my mind with um, they have to have strong goals. They don't necessarily have to be physical goals that it's, you know, like I want to buy a house or get a job, um, although it's often easier if there is something sort of tactile that I can sort of have them try to um, – and, yeah, that backstory is really important to me, what's happened to shape them into how they are. So, yeah, I'm slowly learning my process. Um, as I said, it's been about 20 books and I think I'm only just starting to realise that um, I have to I have to just trust the process and just the magic of writing and not worry too much about what's going to come next. If I think too much ahead in the story, I start doubting and questioning myself and think, oh, that's not going to work or that's going to be stupid. or And, and so things like I think are not going to work, often by the time I get there, the plot's changed anyway, so that's not a problem. Or, you know, yeah, something has something come to me to make it okay. So, But I would stop myself writing if I plan too far ahead. Sure. Yeah. So if they're very character-driven, do you get to know your characters as you start writing or are you profiling a little bit before you start just building them either mentally or on the page? Yeah, a bit of both, and it really depends on each book and each character. Um, I've just started a new book and got three main point of view characters I wanted to have more of an idea of all of them before I started because to me I feel like that's easier um, but it's not until I really start sort of typing and then having them interact that I, I learn sort of things about them I've got a teenage character in the book that I really had no idea what her personality kind of was or what her particular sort of goal for the first half of the book is I know about her for the second half but I need to get her there um, and just writing kind of helped me sort of come that. So I do sometimes use archetypes. So there's a book called 16 Archety- I think 16 Master Archetypes of Heroes and Heroines. And it's got things like the boss, you know, the chief, librarian, professor, girl next door. And it's got a list of sort of qualities that these sort of people would have and what may have shaped them to come that way. And I find sometimes if I've got a little bit of an idea, then I can sort of create that character and flesh them out a bit by using an archetype but then making it my own um and that often gives me ideas for the story too as i'm sort of thinking about the characters um does it make sure as well i suppose particularly if you've got multiple point of view characters that they are sounding different yeah i think it does definitely because that is that is your spot on there um writing multiple point of views especially often in the genres that I write, you know, sometimes there will be women who are of similar age, a uh, number of my books, and similar circumstances. You know, I might have sisters that are only over a few age difference. I've had that. I've also had female friends that have met when the kids started school. They're all pretty much similar age. And so, yeah, you really have to be careful that they don't sound the same um, and they don't act the same. So, yeah giving each of them one another thing I really like to do um is I sort of give each of my characters one word so in my current book I've got three characters uh one is cautious 
one's kind of addicted. I just have to stop you because people can't see <laughs> yeah. this, but behind us on the wall there are actually post-its <laughs> that have the characters written out and next to them these three words that Rachel's describing are written quite large. Go ahead. Yeah, so um, this is actually much more organised than I would usually have. I'm, as I said, this book I'm sort of trying to really nut out my process and work out what I'm doing. Um, but I always, if I remember, I do have a word per character. So I've got here for this one, cautious for one character, addicted for another character, and lost is another one. And so sort of as I'm writing each scene or as I'm sort of fleshing them out, I've got this one word in mind and I'll look back to it to, to remind myself that this is sort of their driving characteristic, if that makes sense. So I feel like that helps me. Obviously, if they're different to each other, then that's going to help distinguish them too. Is there a formula at all um, for the type of books that you write or Mm -hmm. is it really just like anything, just case by case? Well, I write two different genres really. So um, they're they're similar genres Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of similarities. I say I write relationship stories. Um, Which you've coined Life Is that right? I was going to say overall I write relationship stories. So I've got rural romance, Mm -hmm. which are very much focused – you know, there's a lot going on in the community, but there's also the strong element is the romance and that's kind of the driving force of the story. Therefore, you kind of do follow, uh, you know, some authors really hate if you say there's a formula. I don't really mind it. I think it's, yeah, as you said, more of a structure. You if know, anything, it would be a loose formula. Not yeah, a, it, it is. And it doesn't you know. mean that every romance book is the same. It's like crime books, you know you meet usually someone dies or someone's dead yeah. in the beginning if you don't find out who killed them by the end you're annoyed because, yeah. and so that's a formula in its sense too and I guess with my rural romance novels I know that I'm going to have two characters who are perfect for each other but uh, don't know that or uh, you know and there's, there's things in the way of um, they're happy ever after and so you're going to have you have to have them meet you have to establish why they're you know opposing and why they're good for each other you have to have them go through certain things so it's easier to follow the structure of romance in some ways, whereas with the other books, which are more sort of, they can be any type of relationship, sibling relationships, family, friends. And yes, I, you mentioned the term life lit, which is one, one like descriptor that. I like yeah. kind of for them. So it's just like everyday, you know, normal people in contemporary, um, it, the, our contemporary era kind of experiencing the things that we all sort of do on a day-to-day basis. That makes it sound really boring. So hopefully it's a bit no, more interesting it doesn't. than that. <laughs> but um, those stories, I guess, are harder in terms of structure because a lot of it depends on you know how many if you've got you're throwing we can have anything from one you know I've had up to I think four characters probably the most I've had but so you kind of you've got to weave them all together and there's not necessarily the romance there's some in romantic elements in in some of those books but there's you're not following the same specific romance structure but I think all story follows a structure um and I guess plotters really think about that structure when they start pants is a more sort of organic uh but anyone who has been reading books for a number of a long time and loves story or watching movies and stuff you sort of um just innately know the structure so you know you can look up was it joseph is it joseph campbell's structures and i'm trying to think save the cat is another really good i've got save the cat writes a novel which i read you know flick through sometimes all of them follow a very similar you know whichever sort of structure you choose to look at they all actually follow very similar sort of things you know you've got enticing incidents you've got midpoints you've got climax you know that's very very basic but um so I think you know they all have a structure but it's not as easy to sort of um see it necessarily when you start running a sort of a women's fiction life leap book because it depends how many characters you're dealing with and a whole lot of other things so it's really really 
Difficult answer. <laughs> <laughs> so where does the inspiration come from? Um, everywhere and nowhere. <laughs> um, you know, I've written now a lot of books and when I first started writing there'd always be sort of inspiration halfway through writing a novel I would suddenly get an idea that I thought was so much better than the idea I was currently writing and you know I would grass much, is yeah, green exactly or grass is definitely always greener whenever I'm writing women's fiction I'm writing rural romance and vice versa but um and the ideas would just I mean I've been inspired by weed <laughs> driving through the wheat belt in western Australia and seeing Patterson Curse um and my friend sort of telling me off when I asked what that pretty flower was. And then she said, you know, that's a great name for a novel. And sort of just the idea of a curse kind of started simmering around in my head. I've been inspired by buildings, real-life fire. Um, so basically inspiration is everywhere. Um, the But at the same time, I find the more books I write, the more sometimes I have to manufacture an idea. That strike of inspiration doesn't necessarily hit me when it used to and that's annoying because it used to be great even though it's frustrating having an idea mid-book it's also quite comforting because you think well once I finish this one at least I know what I'm kind of doing so next. long as you jot it down and yeah, don't exactly. forget about jot it. it down don't forget about it but also don't get distracted by it and you know still finish the other one that's what a lot of people struggle with but yeah it was always comforting to have that um now I constantly worry that you know, I'm not going to get another good idea. Everything feels like well, everything has been done before. Um, so it, it's very easy to talk myself out of stuff. But really, it's it's listening to people. It's seeing magazines. It can be a podcast. I'm currently writing a book, hopefully, it'll be finished one day, called The Workwives. And literally, the idea for that came, I was doing a podcast, the last podcast <laughs> I did with someone else. Um, and she mentioned her work wives and how she gets together with her work wives, the interviewer every you know Friday night or they did pre-COVID times and you know, have a drink after work. And I heard the term work wives, you know, many times before, but not really thought about the way she said the, my work wives. I just suddenly thought the work wives would be a really good title for a book. So I had no idea at that stage, apart from that concept of women who work together, kind of um, supporting each other. Uh, so literally sometimes the title comes first. And I actually quite like it if the title comes first. Um, because to me, they if if a title comes first, usually it kind of encapsulates a theme of what I eventually. Let's, you know, I can keep going back to that. Yeah. I feel a bit of pressure now, like I have to inspire a book in you. Oh with yes, this, please with do. This interview. <laughs> uh, sleep deprived, mum. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> um, is there a bit of pressure on your husband? You're writing these steamy romances. Well, the funny thing is when we had the shop in Gumaling, um, so obviously we got to know the local community, you know, quite well and they all, that was when my first book got published and we sold the books in the shop. So everyone, you know, came in. Often I'd be like writing in the back office if I had to, <laughs> if we didn't have enough staff that day or someone was sick. And so my husband Craig did often get people saying to him, hey, do you, do you like help her research those novels? Like, is that, you know, and he'd say, I wish she's always at the computer. So you know, <laughs> that's his complaint. Never have any time to, to research. <laughs> so what's, you said that your writing day has changed over the years. Mm -hmm. What does it look like now, your routine? Um, so now I've, I've learnt that I, if I do anything in the morning before I start writing, apart from getting the kids ready for school and sort of taking them to school, um, then my day is a write-off. So I schedule all, like, appointments and if I possibly can in the afternoon. And basically I'm trying to, what I say, faffless. I used <laughs> to be very, as I said to you, I think I mentioned that when I had very little time, when I had three kids still at home and, you know, then we had a supermarket, I was very 
you know, really productive because you make the most of the time, the short time that you have. And then I thought when I came to Perth and we had sold our business and all my kids are at school, I'd have all the time in the world. But I find that I just, I just sort of procrastinated more. Um, and so I used to come home and, you know, go onto Facebook and Instagram and check my email and check the Amazon rankings and Goodreads. There's a million things you can do on the internet to put off writing. And I kind of looked upon it as this is my just getting in the zone kind of thing. But I realized that that was just getting worse and worse, sort of the procrastination. Um, and I would actually read my whole manuscript each morning, which is okay when you've got you know, one chapter, Yeah, I'm a slow reader too. So I'd skim read, but by the end you've got a hundred thousand words and you're almost near the end, that can take a few hours. <laughs> and then by the time I'd finished skim reading, I felt exhausted. Like I'd done a whole day's work yet I actually just had done nothing. So I'm really working again to try and focus and what my ideal, well, <laughs> the best way to work for me is to come home and pretty much get stuck straight into it. I do also find exercise really important. Um, and ideally I would like to do that before, I write because it kind of clears I go for a run it clears my head makes me feel better and I just seem to be more productive but the weather often you know Uh, hinders that we haven't had a great running (laughs) weather um, winter exactly and you know in the summer I can do it because you can get up really early before I have to organize everyone and do stuff and so it's out of the way but in winter I'm not I'm not that hard die hard that I can go out in the cold and stuff and dark so yeah usually I work for basically four hours kind of in the morning and then I'll have lunch, go for a run, do other, you know, house jobs, admin kind of jobs. Um, the census recently said, you know, how long do you work? And I thought, sometimes I feel like I'm working all the time. But when I actually thought about it, I thought, I probably do less than most people do in a full-time job. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned before social media yeah. and the time, the amount of time it takes, particularly, I suppose, when you factor in that you want to engage with your audience your readers mm-hmm. you had your wonderful um farmer wants a wife yeah. <laughs> updates going how do you fit that in without it becoming a distraction well i think it's very hard actually and to be honest i've struggled um in the last few months last year with social media um i think because there's so much in some ways there's so much pressure not i'm not saying it's from publishers it's from just sort of everyone in the writing world that you should be on Instagram, you should be building a platform, you know, mm. before you've even got a book published, you should have a website, you should have Facebook, you should have being groups, you should be, and, you know, blog, podcast, whatever. And this can take so much time away from, you know, the reason we're all here, and that is actually to write books, and that's what the readers really, really want you to do. Um, and so I think I kind of got distracted. I enjoy social media a lot of the time, Um And so I've got a a great online book club on Facebook, which I really enjoy doing. But I find that I was scrolling, you know, so much. I think it's not just in this job. Everyone, you know, we waste so much time. I'd get up and I'll check my phone and I would go through Facebook and social media and I would be seeing, you know, it's time consuming replying to everyone. And that's something I always want to do if I can. Um, But the other thing, so the flip side of, of you know interacting with readers and stuff is I don't think it's very good for mental health and a lot of writers of us we're we're kind of precious people and you know if your writing is a bit of a roller coaster you know sometimes when 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 you're doing it's going well and stuff you're on a high you feel great but you know if you're sort of stuck or you're struggling to find ideas or you're in a bit of a writer's block kind of period then you know going on social media and seeing everyone else say oh I just got a 10 book deal I wrote 20,000 words in three days I hit the New York Times bestseller list I got a movie even if you love these people and you're happy for them it can be really I think damaging kind of and it can sort of 
make you forget the focus. So I have struggled with that this year. So I've kind of like stepped back a little bit the last few months. I took a big bit of a break. And I also, um, I'm just really, really trying to remember that I, I do this because I love reading. I love books. I love telling stories and that I feel like in some ways there wasn't enough space in my head for that stuff because so much time was being consumed on social media. So, um, yeah, did I answer your question? Yes. <laughs> so do you set a time now oh, yeah. or is it a... So now I don't get up in the morning and scroll through Instagram and Facebook. I still um, will quickly have a look because I find that wakes me up in the morning. I'm not a morning person. I'll look, check my notifications and check my um, – and both sort of Facebook and Insta and I'll – uh, maybe reply to something um, but you mentioned farmer once a wife so say I think the night before last I put up my update on there usually I would have then spent every five seconds during the day checking you know replying to comments instead I waited till after school my kids were all doing their stuff and then I sat down and replied in half an hour rather than you know letting it sort of consume me and take up the whole day and, and I think that's what you've got to do with social media kind of um you know, it is nice to interact with people and, you know, all those messages that I get from readers, that really inspires me and boosts me. But it's just a matter of, yeah, I think putting things in boxes and making sure that you prioritise the actual work. It's so funny that this is where we've got to now that it becomes almost like a second job or yeah. life admin that comes with Definitely. the and side. I, you know, a lot of people have virtual assistants or actual assistants who help them do all that stuff. Um, and, you know, I find... I don't. I think I, I'm a bit. I don't know what's the word. I don't think I could give my social media over to someone else because to me that is my connection through readers, and and hopefully they get a bit of my personality and and stuff like that. So I think it's just a matter of working out whatever works, you know, and managing it the way the way you can. Um, but yeah, life. But a lot of people, you know, think when you're writing a book. I know me when I first wanted to write a book, I never thought about the other things that might be involved in being a published author. I thought, you know, you write a book. Maybe back then I thought you might go on a book tour and sign a few books. But I guess, yeah, social media wasn't a thing. But there's so many other things apart from just social media. I mean, there's uh, being a writer is like having a business. You have to, I have to do my tax. I have to keep my books up to date. You know, I have to think about all these things. I'm answering emails from publishers, agent and other writing friends. You know, you, you're being asked to do festivals and workshops. So I never thought about any of that stuff. I seriously only <laughs> thought about writing the book, which is probably, which is probably a the good best thing, thing, to be yeah. honest. Exactly. So are all of your books published by the one publisher? Or are you the majority, majority of them are. So all my long, full-length novels are published by Harlequin or HarperCollins now in Australia. Um, and, um, yeah, I've got a few digital novellas that I've done with uh, various other publishers, but the majority of them are with the same publisher. So how does it work for you when you're churning out one, two books a year? Is there a rolling contract with them? Do you need to keep pitching ideas or? I don't, I don't, I'm not exactly a rolling contract, but I, you know, have been very lucky in that the last probably five or six years, I have signed a contract for new books without, you know, really giving them any idea of what I was going to do. Um, So they've been confident enough that, I'll come up with the goods. So currently I'm on a four book contract, um, two rural romances and two uh, life lit novels. Um, and yeah, they, both of them, I think the contract for four books is about over three years. So, you know, the deadlines are set out. 
I sort of have a vague idea of, you know, what they want, but I don't do – thank God I don't have to do synopsises or anything like that because I suck at that before. What a luxury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it's very luxury. It is a luxury. Does it – it's a long deadline, but then quite short when you're factoring in four full-length Yeah, books? I think when you sign the first sign a contract that's four books, you think, oh, you know, say I signed the last one in 2020 and the last one would be due – end of 2022 or even the beginning of 2023 and it's you know in 2020 2023 felt like decades away but now we're yeah <laughs> you know halfway through that so time does yeah go fast when you actually have to do stuff yeah. so your next novel that's coming out is a rural romance it's yeah. outback secrets that's right tell us a little bit about it so outback secrets is the fifth in my Bunyip Bay series, which is only ever going to be a three-book series, so that's how good I am at planning. Um, and it is um, – basically I wrote it because uh, everyone just wanted more books in the Bunyip Bay series. It was a really popular um, series, much more than I could ever have imagined. And since I wrote Outback Sisters, which was the fourth of the three books, <laughs> um, people have still been wanting more, and I – have been thinking about it for a number of years and there's only really one character in the books that that I hadn't really you know fleshed out or said anything about and that's Liam the publican and so I decided I was going to write his story and that it was going to be sort of set at Christmas I didn't really have any idea of the heroine uh turn in the end I've written a, an agricultural pilot hence why I'm wearing my airplane earrings today. I am <laughs> enjoying the airplane earrings particularly when occasionally you can hear an airplane, airplane flying over yes. it's quite appropriate <laughs> Um, so that is the story of, yeah, the publican from Bunyip Bay and Henrietta Forward, who is an ag pilot who's coming home for the holidays. Um, both of them have kind of issues, as you have to have. In the world. <laughs> um, and and he's got a secret. He my the Sort of the inspiration for this book very much came when I, I had a line came into my head before I had any idea of the story. It was Liam, the publican of Bunyip Bay, knows the secrets of everyone, but nobody knows his secret. So then I had to work out what the hell his secret was. <laughs> um, and I road tested or I tried out three different heroines. So this was a hard book to write. And I think maybe that's because it kind of was manufactured. I didn't have that strike of inspiration. I just thought I want to write another Bunyip Bay book because that's what people want. Um, and so then I thought I'll have to write about Liam. He's the only one there. And so I, I had, yeah, it took a while sort of to find out the right story for him. I wrote 30,000 words of one novel, then ditched the heroine, then read 5,000 words of another one and ditched the heroine, and then finally found hopefully the right one. Wow. Do you find it hard to get rid of big chunks of writing? Yes, that was the old So yeah, last year was not a good year for lots of people, 2020. <laughs> but for me, it was not a good year because, yeah, I, you know, you assume that when you've been writing for a while, you know, I started the book sort of, I think, mid-September. It was due in December. I thought, yeah, that's fine. That's plenty of time. We've done this before. But then when you've written 30,000 words and you realise, I just had a sick sort of feeling. I, I thought, this is not going to work. It's not right. I had friends who made close writing friends saying, yes, it is. It's fine. It's you. You've got all the conflict. You've got two characters who, you know, it's going to work. It's fine. But I just didn't feel like it was. Um, it's the biggest chunk I've ever thrown out. Well, 65,000 words all up. I never mm-hmm. have done that before. I've never, since being published, I've never, um, you know, started completely again twice. And by the time I got to the third one, I had, I think I was a month out from my deadline. I did get an extension in the end. But I was sort of thinking, something's wrong with me. <laughs> and either I'm going to have to 
give up writing because, you know, if I get to 35,000 or 40,000 words and then think, nope, that's not working, I'm going to have to give up because I just don't think I can write a book anymore. So it was very, it was very traumatic. Or I'm just going to have to write, you know, even if I've got doubt, I'm going to have to push on. And that's what I did. And I'm not going to say it was pretty when it first first finished because it was written very quickly over the summer, school holidays, Christmas. But luckily now, I think when you have worked with a publisher for a number of years, um, you know, she's not going to let me put out anything that's too terrible, hopefully. And she said to me, no, it's not good enough. Um, And these are, you know, these are some ideas. Do you think you're... um, you know, you want, are you prepared to revise? And I said, yes, because I don't want something out there that's, you know, less than the best that I could do at the time. And so I did revisions a lot on that book. Um, but yeah, finally it's coming out. So October. October the 27th. Not long to go then, no. just around the corner. <laughs> you mentioned your writing network. How important are they to your success? Very important. And most of the people I've met through the Romance Writers of Australia, which I've now been a member of for 16 years, um, you know, I talk to my writing friends more than I, I say, more than I talk to my normal friends. It sounds like my writing friends are not normal, but I mean, that's, that's probably true. We're writers You're are non- all writing friends. <laughs> yeah. You know, and they've become some of my closest friends. And it's, you know, we don't just talk about writing stuff. We, we all know each other's family now and, you know, we support each other through a lot. But I think having people that do understand writing and do understand that, you know, there are a lot of highs, but there are also a lot of lows. People that also understand stories so they can, you know, bounce ideas back and forth with you. Um, it's really, really important. And a lot of people will say, you know, that writing is a solitary career. And I think, you know, yes, it is in an extent. I mean, I sit in this office day in, day out pretty much by myself. Um, but I never feel like I'm alone because that's one of the good things, I suppose, about social media and the internet. Um is that I, I can constantly, like my close writing friends at the end of an email, we chat many times throughout the day. We write, we do writing sprints with each other. So we will, you know, say, okay, no one's going to faff for the next half hour, only writing, no checking emails, Facebook and that. And then we report back. So that really like sort that. of it's helps nice to have me. the accountability. It does. I think the accountability really helps. Otherwise I sort of, you know, you just sort of drift off and... The other thing I think that really helps for me um, is having a goal each day. Um, And I find that, you know, if I put a 2,000 word goal, I'm much more likely to get to it. I've tried to be kind to myself at the moment, so I'm giving myself only 1,500. And I find that when I get to 1,500, I think, okay, that's done. Where I could probably push on. That's your word count for the day. But I could probably push on if I did. So I think, yeah, having a goal kind of really helps you you get towards it. I'm thinking I should probably up my goal again because I'm doing too slack. So tell me, you're currently known as Australia's leading writer of contemporary relationship stories around women's issues. Long one. That means <laughs> Life Lit, the leader yeah. of Life Lit. What's the secret that you can pass on to people who want to write the same genre? Well, there's one thing that's not a secret, and I feel a bit, you know, bad saying this, and that is there is a lot of luck in this industry. Um, and I took 15 years to get lucky. So you've got to kind of do the work and, you know, be in the right spot at the right time eventually. But there is an element of luck um, in terms of, you know, publishers might be in a bad mood when they read your thing and you get a rejection. It might not be, you know, so there's all there's a whole load of reasons. So I think I was lucky in that I wrote a rural romance at a time when publishers were writing, wanting rural romance. I was the first or second author with Harlequin Australia and they previously were only a, a distribution office in Australia. And so obviously they wanted to grow their local list. So they put a lot of effort into my books at the time. So that was, you know, that's the luck side. 
But I guess the other side of it is, yeah, doing the work. There really is no secret apart from just trying to write the best book that you can. And I would say that involves a, a lot of reading. Like you have to re- – you, you learn the most about writing through reading the books that – the kind of books you want to write, but also anything kind of in your genre. And it's also perseverance and patience because it can take a long time. Um, but in terms of story – I think you have to have characters that people can relate to. That doesn't necessarily mean they have to like them, depending on your genre. My genre, most of them, probably you do want people to to like them. But they have to be... Like, there's nothing that turns me off more than boring characters um, and or, or characters that do things that you just don't think people would normally do or they speak like, you know, it, it doesn't seem real. So to me, it's all... It's all in the characters, um, and and that and that is is making them interesting, giving them backstory, giving them quirks. Which I loved what you did with How to Mend a Broken Heart with Felicity being a taxidermist. Yeah, yeah. I thought like, this is fascinating. Exactly. So different. And I like stuff like that too. And I think you you saying that just made me think of another point. I think you've got to really love what you do, and that's not always easy, especially when you're doing it for a job. Nobody likes their job all the time, um, but I think. If you're enjoying your characters or you love your characters, you love what they do, um, then you're more likely to be having fun and that comes across in the pages. And so that's a trick that I did trick myself. I like choosing characters that have interesting careers. So I've done a taxidermist, I've done hot air balloonist, I've done a violinist, different How just much different research things. goes into them? Um, not probably as much as you'd think because I'm lazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, different, like, so with hot air ballooning, I, you know, read a bit around hot air ballooning. I I always order... Did you go hot air ballooning? I did go hot air ballooning. So I always order some books too um, and then never end up reading (laughs) them. But my taxidermy ones, which are on my shelf over here, there's a couple, they're really pretty. Um, They've got lots of beautiful... (laughs) They look fabulous on the shelf. Um, But so it's... Most of my research is kind of um, done online. But if I can do something like hot air ballooning... Yep, I went and did that. So you aren't an amateur taxidermist? No, I'm not an amateur taxidermist. I wouldn't mind giving it a shot, but the closest I could find, like a course that you could do was like $6,000 and that one couldn't quite justify that. Can't fit that that in at the moment. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, a lot of, I think that's the joy of writing is that you can experience things that you possibly might, and same with reading too, that you that you might be interested in, but you'd never probably be able to, you know, I could have a hundred careers writing a hundred different books where I can only have, you know, maybe a couple in my actual life. What's that one thing? So you're now 20 full length books, countless novellas into your career. What's that thing? If you think back to the early books that you've written, the, perhaps the mistake you used to make that now you, or you said you'd swirl, you'd never do it again. Yeah. Hmm. What would it be? A mistake. Um, or perhaps just a learning curve even. I think in some ways I feel like I'm getting worse as a writer because <laughs> the thing that I would I, – I feel like there's an enormous amount of self-doubt for somebody who's had so much <laughs> success. Uh, that's true, actually. And self-doubt is a horrible thing that I know a lot of writers are, are plagued with. I think um, what I would – I would actually rather sort of take some – go back and take some of my early naivety, I suppose, um, about the industry and about – you know, how to write a book and just sort of enjoy it and kind of just be intuitive in, in my writing. Um, but what was your question? What have you... So what have what you mistake? learned? What won't you do now with your books that perhaps you used to do early on? I think the only thing 
No, I actually, I actually can't think of anything. Not specifically that I've learned in terms of craft. I've learned things that I think I should do, but I don't always, aren't always able to do. So that would definitely be make sure you have a strong kind of premise to start with. A um, number of my books I uh, haven't, you know, they've been sort of airy-fairy in my head, but the ones that have been the easiest to write, I could sum up for you in you know, a sentence. So say the Patterson girls is about four sisters trying to just disprove a family curse. Um, and I can't think of the other ones <laughs> on this month, on my latest I'm wearing now. I haven't, I haven't finished obviously, but it's about two women who work in the same company and a man turns up who they both recognize for different reasons. Kind of, you know, that's a bit more airy fairy, but I would say that definitely having a strong premise and something that you can, you know, really get your teeth into and you know what you're supposed to do for the book that makes things easier but I don't always have that perfect Rachel Johns thank you so much for joining us we can't wait to read the Outback Secrets when it's out late October and anything else that comes along with it thank you so much and thank you for listening to the Writers Off The Page podcast make sure you check out the back catalogue and while you're there leave a rating or review it helps in the podcast rankings And if there's a WA author you want me to chat to, hit me up on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter at Shanae Maripodi. That's C-H-E-N-E-E. Thanks for listening. Bye.